I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. It's Martin Shipton, and I'm with Glyn Davis, who's the Conservative MP for Montgomeryshire. So, Glyn, you still live, I think, in the area where you were brought up, don't you? I do, I do. Uh, uh, more than that, um, I haven't got a single ancestor who was born anywhere else. I go through the family tree, every single ancestor I've got was born in Montgomeryshire. I've actually moved two miles from where I was born. Good Lord. Yeah. And you've got a farm of your own, haven't you? I've still got my, the farm in Llanerville, where my father's farm was. I still own that and let it. And then I've got a my live on a farm, and I've also got my my own where I was where I was brought up. Bank farm. So, what sort of education did you get? I left school at sixteen. I left. I went to a local primary, went to Landmore High School. It's so different from today, Martin, because I was academic. You know, in, in Landmore School, I mean, it was a, I was I was a pretty academic pupil and, and pretty successful, but um, I was the only son on a farm. I remember when I came home. I, looking back now, it's hard to believe. I came home and I told my, fa- and told my father that I'd passed all of my O-levels. And this didn't happen in those days much. I, mean, I was first at Landmark School for ages. And he was hugely disappointed. And I suppose you'll have to carry on in education now, lad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that wasn't uncommon. In yes. those days, that wasn't uncommon. I was yeah. the only son. Six children, I was the only son. And it was assumed I would be on the farm. So what did you do from the age of 16? I was working on the farm. What I, sort of farm? Beef and sheep farm, you know, and actually we had dairy cows to start with, but I'd been milking the cows since I was about eight. But this is what you did, it wasn't, it, it, when I say it now, it sounds as if I was hard done by. Well, I wasn't, it was what everybody did. As soon as you could bloody walk, you were out on the farm, you know. And I enjoyed it, and, um, and my father died young, I was, I'd have been about 32 when he died, and then I had to take over the whole thing. So all that period, that's what you were doing? Yes, that's all. Doing the farm? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, yeah. First of all, the Young Farmers Movement uh, I got, became involved with, which is I, I used to do public speaking and writing, and I've still got two body chairs to my name, which I'm quite proud of. What were they for? For writing uh, essays. One was the future of the Welsh language. One was on the future of um, future of Mid-Wales. And who would you be writing this for? For a Young Farmers competition. You know, and then we had somebody come down, and then you, you, you had the body chair for the best entry in the, in the literary section. So because I, did all I suppose that. it's a bit like... Um, the, the tradition of miners, in a sense, because they weren't just mining clubs, yeah. they also had an educational function, didn't they? Right. And the same applied to farmers. Young Farmers Movement is a brilliant organisation. It still is. I mean, the club, Berry Club, was a great club then. And, um, you know, some, I mean, sometimes they like a lot of young people in particular, they will do things, they will go over the top, they'll do that, and they, that gets noticed. But it, um, it, it changed my life, completely changed my life. Actually, being a very shy individual, couldn't say boo to a goose, to becoming somebody who was confident enough to speak in front of a crowd and, and argue in my corner, and, and I quite enjoyed that. And then there was rugby football, which also... Because you played rugby, didn't you? It took over a big part of my life, yeah, yeah I did. Um, I started playing for Shrewsbury, and I played for Shrewsbury in Shropshire and North Wales and for until my early 30s. Uh, that was a very dominating um, you know, part of my life. But from the titles of those essays that you wrote, it was clear that even when you were a young man, you were thinking beyond your own community in a sense, weren't you? Because you were thinking well, about the region, you were thinking about Wales. And I was a bit. I mean, when I, look, I, I, don't, I didn't think I was then. I think it comes from a competitive nature. 
you know, I mean, the first time I did public speaking competition, I'd actually been down to the lion in the village and I'd had probably one or two more than I should, turned up late, and they wanted somebody to enter the public speaking competition as a speaker. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. And do this. I'll do it. Once I said I'll do it, then I want to win. Then that kicks in straight away. And if it requires an obsession to enable me to win. But at that stage, and when you were a young man, did you do any Welsh at school? No, not at all. No? There was a Welsh stream, but I didn't do any Welsh, no. Not, not so not what was it that made you interested? Well, that was, but that was later on. Yeah. Uh, I must say that was been my fifth, late 50s. Oh, right, OK. When I started learning to speak Welsh. Because, mainly because... It began, That's not in the Assembly. It was, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. When I, when I entered the Assembly, I got no Welsh at all. Although you were writing about the future of the Welsh language. I was, absolutely. Yeah. But, but it, was, um, it was a social commentary on mid-Wales, on where I lived. And my conclusion was that the Welsh language was doomed and would die. At the time, when I look back, you know, as it happens. You get to a stage in life when you start to wonder who you are. And I must have been in my 50s and, you know, you had the ups and downs of politics. And I, start, I started to wonder, well, you know, I'm on this earth. I've, I've, I've done this and that and the other. A lot of it's family-orientated. But like, who am I? And um, and I, I just I had, um, Welsh was a big part of my family's background, so I just suddenly decided I wanted to learn. And if you want to learn a new language, you've got to really want to do it. If you don't really want to do it, you won't succeed. I didn't want to sound like an Englishman who'd learned to speak Welsh, so I was obsessed with getting my pronunciation right. It used to get me into trouble doing interviews sometimes on the BBC, and after about a minute, because my pronunciation was good they all suddenly forgot I was a learner. And suddenly they were asking me questions. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. I was having to guess. But that was because um, I put so much effort into um, pronunciation, really. Was yours a political family? No, not at all. I'm the first and only person that's taken the slightest interest in politics in my whole family. Because you eventually became a councillor, didn't you? I, I mean, I'd never intended to get involved in politics at all. But in those days, the local parish council were chosen geographically. And the person who lived up the Keel Road, where I lived, wanted to retire. So he stopped one night and said, oh, look it, I want to retire. Will you take my Keel Road slot on the Berryhoof Parish Council? I thought he was joking. Anyway, I did, I went down. And then another accident is that the, the most senior council, the district councillor in the, in the county, was also from Berryhoof. And he was a friend of mine, but we kind of um, had a disagreement about something. And so I just said, well, I'll stand against you. He's a good man. He's a really good man. And he won. Not by much, but he won. And six months later, he, fe- he walked into the river and drowned. Mm. So we had a by-election. The same month as my father died. So I didn't campaign. I put my name in. Didn't do anything at all. And I won by one vote. Right. 287, 286. The establishment in the village were all against me. <laughs> you know? So you were the insurgent. I was completely the insurgent, absolutely. And I still, I still think of myself a little bit. Throughout my life has been a bit of an insurgent. I, I, I never liked being too much part of the establishment. And in those days, you weren't a Conservative. Were well, no, 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 no. All my local government career. It was only when I took an interest in, um, in, in national politics and I decided that I needed to be a member of a party to be able to do that. And I had one or two friends. Peter Walker was a, was quite a good friend of mine. I, I liked Peter and... And I, I had to sit down and decide which party I was a member of. I, the first time I voted, I voted Plaid Cymru because of the, I don't know, Welsh instinct I'd got in me and I've got a bit of my family. And uh, I voted for David Alice Thomas on one occasion, as it happens. 
I might be tempted to vote for him again. If he's gone Labour now, wouldn't he? So, <laughs> but he's he wouldn't necessarily be a, a bit of a kindred spirit in a way. Yeah. But uh, no, I decided that was a Conservative, and then I, I fought elections as a Conservative. Uh, there was a time, wasn't there, when you became uh, sort of Quango chief? Oh, you, oh absolutely. Uh, well, this is when I knew Peter Walker first. Yeah. He wanted somebody to be the chairman of the development board for rural Wales, and I met him. I'd become the chairman of the council by then. And I was going to a national body in Cardiff, and yeah, I was in the audience of a. Uh, they were all Labour, the whole place was Labour, really. And then he, I asked a question which indicated to him that I wasn't Labour. I could see him talking to people. And he came up to me and he asked me, uh, Can you come down to London next week? And there was no interview. He just offered me that job. Right. And I spoke with him afterwards, and his theory was you know, he obviously checked up a little bit, uh, he must have done. He took the view, well, job for three years, he can't do too much harm. And if he's a success, people will think I was brilliant spotting him. Was it a surprise that you offered it? Oh, gosh, yes. Big surprise, you know. And it was a big job, because not only was I chairman of the development of rural Wales, I was a member of the um, Welsh Development Agency. At the same time? And, yes, and I was also a member of the Wales Tourist Board. All at the same time. Right. At the same time. You so know. you were a bit of a Quango crowd. Oh, completely. I was a Quango king. And there were two of us in Wales, it was Gwyn Jones and myself, oh, yes. and I think Gwyn had been an influence, because he was a friend of Peter's, I think he had been quite influential, because uh, trying to do my various jobs, and I'd met Gwyn Jones, you know, I just, I just contacted him and said, fancy a chat, fancy a meet, we could, be, we could have something in common, you know, so, uh, but I, I used to do that to people, just, uh, and we met, and uh, I think he may have had an influence on that, and it went well for five years until I, uh, I, mean, I ran into the wall. Yeah, uh, because... Yeah. Um, you also got sacked, didn't you? I did, yeah. yeah in the what end. was all that about? Well, it's, 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 you look at the way I got the job, and it was it's nothing... nepotism, isn't it, really? Well, Although I it wasn't in the family. I don't, I, mean, I, I, I don't think it was nepotism. I just think it was... A, a, it seemed incredibly uh, much of a gamble on the Secretary of State's part. You, know, you, you, thought, you, you yeah. thought you were one of us, presumably? Um, well, no. I don't think I was a member of the party at the time. No? No, no. I think he thought... I, he genuinely thought that this person is talking in the way I quite like to hear things said. And um, we'll see how he gets on for three years. And after three years, you can, you know, you can, you can, you can be moved out. And uh, I think he had, a, he had a reputation for that, of appointing people out of the blue nobody ever heard of. And if they were a success, of course, it was a huge coup for for the Secretary of State. I think that was more the thinking, to be honest. Right. But when I lost the job, it was, to, it was nothing to do with me. You know, it was a, 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 a housing issue. What happened then? Well, a house had been let, unadvertised when it should have been, to somebody who wasn't on the list, who was, in fact, the, 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 housing, the housing manager, completely within the rules that we were running, which were deemed, after a lot of, not, to not be proper rules. This was on the council? No, no, this was on the, on the development board. Because the development board owned 5,000 houses. Yeah, I yeah. See. Yes. yeah, that was the issue. That, that had happened before I was on the board. And it, you know, it was historical. But you had to carry the council? Well, but the, uh, I look back, you look back in, and things happen. Because Peter Walker and the, the Conservative government then used Gwyn Jones and myself, because we became quite popular in Wales, we were... We were comparatively young. We were uh, you dynamic. Know, Gwyn was, yeah, that's that's the image, and Gwyn was particularly glamorous. You know, it was it was the image. You weren't without glamour yourself. Well, I'm not sure about that, but, it, but uh, and not not surprisingly, I think um, we were being used 
by the government of the day, and not knowing, unknowingly really, as um, for the political benefit of the Conservative government, which automatically meant that the other side then became your opponents. Although I've never seen them as opponents, but they put in that position of being opponents. So we became pawns in a political, in a political game, and uh, I, I don't complain about it at all. Who and was kicking off about it then? Well, nobody much. It was the, um, inter the auditors. Right. Who came in and they said this wasn't right, and they qualified the accounts, and then it goes to the, the public accounts committee here, which was much more powerful in those days, and it was the public accounts committee that made the, made the issue, and the new secretary of state, John Redwood, well, I can't, you know, this this stuff I can't really di disclose about the conversations that, that we had. I wouldn't want to do that, but the reality was that um, normally the chief executive might be the person in the firing line. I just took the view that I was the chairman and uh, that I was going to want, be the one who took the head. Right. Which I did, really. I took the head. So was that voluntary on your part? No, no, no. no. Well, yes, it, it was in a sense, because I could perfectly easily produce the... No, no. no, no. no. I, if I'd have produced the blood on the carpet oh. from somebody else, that would have probably sufficed. Right. But there had to be blood on the carpet. There had to be a scapegoat. And I, and I wasn't willing to do that. Right. Okay. So I became the skip for myself. Telling you, it was a really tough time, and um, you try not to show it. But I, when I look back, I, mean, um, I see people suffering mental health illness and stuff like that. Now, I, I probably had a four or five months when I was not in a good place. You know, because it was really well. Pressure it wasn't. It was built on the level of it being unfair, and also I spent all my life with a good reputation. And suddenly I felt that I had a bad reputation. As a matter of fact, the Welsh media were incredibly good to me. You know, there was an element of the wrong man's gone, you know, kind of stuff. But it was, the, you know, I was on the front page of the Telegraph, I was on the front page of the national newspapers down here, because they didn't, didn't know me from Adam. But I think the Welsh media were, were actually fairly, they weren't bad at all. So we're talking here about the early to mid-90s. This would be 1993, I, <laughs> the day John Smith died. Ah, 13th of Thirteenth of May. I think that may have been. Was that ninety four? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, ninety four. Thirteenth of May. Yes. Today, I, I, I won't forget. I bet. So, that was in the last term of the Conservative government, yep. led by John Major. Yeah. At what stage had you joined the Conservative Party? I I joined it by then. Yeah. I had joined it by then, but not in any public way. I just paid myself and said nothing. The first time I became openly Conservative was the 1997 election. Oh, yes. When um, the local party in Montgomeryshire, in my difficult period, had been, had been support, morally supportive. And they'd been, you know, like when you haven't got it, when people aren't your friends, uh, people who do stick with you through that period, you, you remember it. And I genuinely fought the election for the Conservatives in 1997, knowing... If you, I tell people now, if you want to know what having the public give you a stick is like, you needed to be a Conservative in 1997. You know, it was... It that was, was a wipeout, but, really, wasn't it? But because I'm an unusual character, unusual personality, I, I quite enjoyed it. I really did quite enjoy it. And, of course, you were up against... Well, uh, Alex Carlyle. No, Alex Carlyle. Oh, Alex Carlyle. He stood again in 97. He did, yeah. Yeah, in 97, I was up against Alex. And, but Alex, Alex started... And uh, you know, I mean, he became good friends of mine. And Harrod Davis was the Labour 
candidate. Oh, she, yes. she's in, I thought she was great. Yes, you know. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'll, despite yeah, it being yeah. such a contentious election. And then yeah. Mary Jones was standing there, wasn't she? Not that, not that election. Applied, no. not that um, was I can't remember, to be honest. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Bizarrely, I quite enjoyed it. Yes. You know, if you're in an election where you know you haven't got a cut in all chance of winning, you might be lucky if you're second. Yeah, we weren't in the losing deposit side. But in that situation, you're very new. I was very new to party politics. I sort of enjoyed it. And then I did take an interest. And then uh, the next step was the Assembly. That's right. Well, of course, in 1999, you stood in Montgomeryshire again, didn't you? Were you on well, the list? Well, I was on the list, and I stood. Yeah. You know. But again, that was strange, because I'm, I can be quite decisive sometimes. I was not in favour of establishing the Assembly. That was part of the... No campaign. Uh, the, the no campaign for developing the Just Assembly. Just say no. Yeah, whatever it was, you know, and, uh, but I, I, did a bit, I did some stuff alone. And I went to the Count in London as well. And when the last vote came through, I was the, the only no person left there, all the no people had gone home, because they think they thought they'd, were, they were, they'd won, really. But I stayed to the end, and um, I lost. And I, I just said, right, then. And I remember telling somebody, I said, well, we lost that. The only thing that I can do now is try to make this assembly a success. Because one of the remarkable things was mm-hmm. how quickly... The Conservative Party uh, under Nick Nick, Nick Bourne, yeah. well, I'm, changed its um, well, Not at first, was it? Rod no, it was, well, actually, it was, it was Nick who was sort of leading stuff. Yeah, uh, Rod became the leader in the Assembly first. Yeah, that's true, because he, the two there was a the competition. But Nick was the sort of uh, person I was relating to quite a bit in the campaign. And, but I think it's a bit of a Conservative thing. I sometimes think the Conservatives need to need to readopt that approach. If the public say, it, it, it is driving us on the Brexit debate today, but if the public vote a certain way, you've got, to, you've got to accept it and make it work. And when we were setting up this new institution, I wanted to make it work the best I could. And then I, then I became a candidate. I was, again, it was funny because I think being selected in Montgomery wasn't a big issue because um, you know, I, I developed a bit of a political reputation by then. But we weren't going to win Montgomery. I mean, it was a liberal seat, like a hundred years, totally liberal. Mm. So there was no way to win. It was only four years, I think, wasn't it? When it well, we did in, in 79 to 83. Yeah. We, we lost it in 83. You know, mm. but it was, right, which was a Thatcher yeah, landscape. Absolutely, yeah. yeah but, it's, um, I mean, it was, but that was, there were local reasons for that. And that, that, again, was a bit of a reward for being committed to Montgomery. Because the members chose the, the, the order on the list. And so we all had to turn up somewhere. And I think about two busloads came with me to oh, down to yeah. boat oh, listen yes. to the speeches. So I came in second on the list. To Nick Bourne? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's Which right. meant that you got a seat when... Completely. But by, by the time I was second, I knew I was going to be in. As soon as yes. I was, uh, the top two were going to be in. You know. So I knew I was a member of the Assembly. So when you joined the Assembly, what approach did you have to it? And how did you think things were going to pan out? I'd never been involved in politics. It was completely new. So it took me a while to get used to that. But I think um, if you commit yourself to trying to make things work, you will. And the part in the Assembly that interested me wasn't the politics. And I have to say, I found Rod Richards to be a very good leader. He was a very good politician. Forget everything else, but he was a, a very good politician. For some reason, Rod identified a kindred spirit politically in me. And he, he gave me the agricultural and despite there being somebody more committed to it. And he thought, I'll put him in there, and he let me get on with it. Never interfered, and I just did that, and uh, and, and, and I enjoyed that. I carried on doing that until Rod got into trouble, and, and Nick became the leader. 
and then um, I was jumped around a bit doing one thing and another thing and another thing really after that. The part of the work I'd enjoyed was being the conservative who was involved in developing the institution. You know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. It'll still be going on now. There'll be discussions going on about um, the name of the Assembly, discussion of the number of uh, Assembly members. There'll be those sort of debates going on. And I was pretty keen on those sort of debates. And, uh, because I wanted I want the, um, the National Assembly, the, the Welsh Parliament, to be a great success. So it was a big blow to you when you lost your seat in two. It was. I, I was because I hadn't expected it for one thing. If, if you're expecting something... But I, there was a seat, I think it was in Carmarthen. I hadn't expected us to win. Carmarthen Western. It was, and we, won, and we did win. And uh, I knew that I was out. And that came as a blow. That was a blow to me. Because it's one of the yeah. contradictions of the electoral system, isn't it? That We did too well. You did too well. That's it, yeah. You and um, Nick went out Nick next went time. Out yeah, the time. The next election, the yeah, idea was in the same yeah. way. You know. Yeah, yeah. We did too well. But I got in without winning. I mean, again, you, you've got to accept life. I got in... In, in 1999, having lost Montgomeryshire to the Liberal Democrat, and then I lost my seat when I, you know, it was because we'd, we'd done too well, you know. So in a sense, there was a bit of poetic injustice, if, you, if that can be the phrase I can use to describe. <laughs> so I didn't complain, and, um, and in actual fact, the, uh, there was an element of um, volunteering to be the candidate in 2010, because a lot of people um, criticised Lembit now for his lifestyle and whatever, Orpik, you know, but he was the MP by then. But um, he won three times, and he, was, and he was good, you know, and he was a really good MP. And um, he did slightly better than I expected. In 2010, a huge shock to me, I won. Because it didn't happen, it was, it was a safe liberal seat. And I needed a 13 point something percent swing. which Quite a big swing. Because I knew about politics, I know that wasn't possible. I knew it wasn't going to happen. Well, other people did. My wife put a wager on, 50 quid, on me. And I was a bit cross. She wasted 50 pounds, you know. What were the odds? It was, uh, I think it was 7 to 1. Yeah, you know, it's not bad, is it? Well, it was good odds. Yeah, but it, you know, it was, uh, I, I was a complete outsider. And on the, on, on, the, on the chart on the BBC, of course, they were all on the chart. They kept me. I wasn't on it. I was off it somewhere. And the reason you won was because Lembit Opic had really alienated a lot of people. Well, you, well yeah, but, but the point was, it, it was no different in 2010 from what it had been the election before, or the one before. I mean, Lembit hadn't suddenly become like that. He was always like that. But I don't know whether that had... Um, it's quite an eccentric figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was able. And he was a friend of mine. I liked him. The local newspaper have quite a, a photograph I, I, I've seen once or twice. They've kept it. And we were in the count, and I was deeply shocked to have won. Lembit was deeply upset to have lost. And we were standing in the middle of the room, hugging each other, like a couple of long-lost mates, not knowing what to do, either of us. We were both sitting there just wondering, what, what, what the hell's happened here? It's, it's quite an iconic photograph for me, really, that is. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, people would... It was only because I know about politics. I know what happens in terms of swings, that I didn't really, I really didn't think there was a hope for me winning. But you did. I did win. And, and now it's... A now second it's, career. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and now it's a, it's, it is actually now the second safest seat. It is the safest Tory seat in Wales. How yeah. does being a member of the governing party group uh, in Westminster compare with 
having been in, in, in opposition group in it's very it's very different because you can't really influence things here at all I mean I the influence you might have by what you might say in the chamber is almost nil the influence you might well, nobody's listening they don't listen to themselves it's only one or two social issues that I think I've made a speech that's impacted on the room I've done something on uh, presumed consent that um, because I was opposing it, where I felt people in the room um, listened and I had an impact on the issue. I mean, it's one or two like that, but on the main policy issues, you've got very little difference, very little difference at all. Yeah, almost none. Well, and yeah, but, but that, which, is, which is why I've become much more involved in all party groups, and uh, which is what I, my greatest joy here is working in all party groups. So, paradoxically, you had more influence in oh, yes. the Assembly than I did so. here. Yeah, I did, yeah. in my view, yeah. Um, how do you feel as a, as a backbencher? Yeah. You're just sort of cut out of things. Really. Well, I'm sort of not really. Well, I'm, I'm, the reason I'm not, I'm not really a backbencher, because I, I, have, I have quite a very satisfying role in here, in that I'm, I, I'm PPS. I'm, I'm a PPS in the Wales office. Now the role is, is is frustrating in that I can't be public. I can't make speeches to the government, but because um, the Secretary of State is a, an old friend of mine. And, and as it happens, I like him a lot. He's, a, he's, not a, he's a re, an old colleague, and uh, we forgive each other our faults, and we're, we're really good mates. And in, in fact, I decide the meetings I go to. I get his agenda for the week. Any meeting I think where I might be useful, or I might just want to go of interest, that I can go. So I'm, and um, if ever I've got a thought, I text him. And his span, uh, I text him. I'm like uh, an unseen, and I, I'm never worried about public. I'm talking to you now. But I'm not bothered about policy at all. I don't do much personally sitting like that. But I, I think I do have a, an influence that nobody knows about. And not just being, not being a PPS, but, he, but being part of the Wales office team. You know. And what do you see as the role of the Wales office team now? Because well, a lot of it's, it's changed, I know. I've heard this popped. said. Yeah. I, don't, I don't agree with that, actually. Uh, I, 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 it depends whether you're... Um, if you are a unionist and you believe in the in the United Kingdom, one's views change with time, in the, uh, facing up to reality of where we are. But we're still a part of the union. A Wales is an important part of that. I'm uh, publicly seen as not believing the status of Wales is sufficiently highly regarded in the departments here. And I think the Wales the Wales office team here has got a, 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 the biggest role it can play, actually is making certain that Wales is treated seriously in all the other departments of, uh, in Whitehall. That's probably its most important, significant role. But there's no doubt it's changing because devolution has transferred a lot of responsibilities um, to the Assembly. You know? And that's why I've always been so, I'm so keen to have a good relationship between um, the Westminster government and the Welsh government. When it doesn't work, um, Wales loses out. There should be a good relationship. One thing I remember, Glyn, is from your very early days in Parliament after being elected in 2010. Uh, there was a big crisis that hit S4C, wasn't there, in terms of funding? Yeah. Uh, because they changed the... Uh, Jeremy Hunt was the was, yeah. Secretary yeah. of State. Yeah. And, I mean, it's actually uh, even been said to me mm. that he may at one stage have been contemplating... Chopping S4C? Um, I never knew that. I, I mean, you know, I, I was a bit involved in it because I, w I was a supporter of S4C. 
a big, and I did I did some interviews when, of course, I was because I was I thought the government position was not unreasonable, actually. What they were doing, unless we see, you got a guaranteed annual increase in legislation. Yeah, quite. Yeah, in legislation, and what and the position we were in is that everything else has been cut. You know, in two thousand and ten, to a, really a response to the crisis in, in two thousand and eight. You know, and I and in a, in a funny story, it was quite a split thing, because first of all, I thought the SOC couldn't be isolated from that, but it didn't need to be treated any more harshly than anything else. So in a sense, the news side of it, I would have been supporting a position that looked a negative for SOC. But I, I still maintain that the position I was taking was a realistic one that was geared on maintaining SOC, and I, I've, been a, I've been a big supporter of it then and ever since. And I think behind the scenes, yeah. you together with some of the Conservative MPs from Wales oh, were, yeah. were, were batting we were, for SOC. We were batting big time. But I don't think any of us were, we were realistic enough to know that maintaining the status quo, which everybody was demanding, wasn't a realistic option. I mean, when you were cutting every single service by a certain percentage as part of a response to the, the financial position, it, it, it was hard to argue that SOC should suddenly carry on having the inflation increases. You know, I, um, I didn't think that was a sustainable position. I think it's, it's been under more pressure since. Yeah. If you had your time again... Where would you prefer to be, here in Westminster or oh, at the National Assembly? I'm, I'm, uh, I've said it before. I mean, I look on. I've enjoyed my period of time here, and uh, but it's a compensation. To me, it's always been a compensation. We're losing my seat in Cardiff when we were. I thought I, I, I could make more of a difference, and it was more, if you like, um, where I came from, you know. Because I'm um, thoroughly Welsh, actually, more so than you might think. And you became thoroughly committed to uh, devolution. I am, yeah. No. Well, I was probably the MP here who probably did most um, for um, devolving income tax powers to Wales. Now, I'm not hugely popular with some people for that, but I was arguing for that when nobody else was, in the sense that I could see the Assembly, um, the government, uh, it, it, it wasn't grown up. We have elections, and we still do without people uh, looking at both sides of the ledger. And, uh, and, I, and it's only then that I think we'll, people will grow up and they'll say, well, all right, they're offering this, but then it's going to cost me this. And you've got to have that. And I think the next election, will, um, I think there, there will be uh, half of the income tax responsibility with lie with the Welsh Government. So they could, in theory, put it up. So if they want to spend, they can, they can, they can, they can put it up and see how they get on. You would obviously have been continuing in opposition if you'd stayed at the Assembly. Well, I'm not sure about that. You say that, but I lost my seat in the Assembly in 2007. 2007. And running up to that election, the, um, there had been a lot of confusion about the Rainbow Coalition. And in actual fact, the three parties had agreed it. The Conservatives, Plaid Cymru and the Liberal Democrats had agreed this. Plaid had signed up, and all we had to do to settle it was to have the Liberal Democrats agree. And they had a famous meeting in London, Dudwells, when it was eight each, and they hadn't got a mechanism. This great party of constitutional reform hadn't got a mechanism for dealing with a draw. And I think at the time, Plaid Cymru then uh, decided we can't be doing with this. So in a sense, well, in the end, it might have been Plaid Cymru who 
polled on the Rainbow Coalition. It was actually the Liberal Democrats' sheer inability to agree that uh, caused Plaid Cymru, I think, to lose faith in it. But I was so disappointed by that. And, I mean, I, uh, I, do, I do take the view. I wanted Welsh democracy. I still take the same view now until we have a government which doesn't include the Labour Party. And this isn't anything anti-Labour. Until people go into an election and you can conceive of, a, of another party being in power, it's just it's like it's a one-party state. And I, I just think until we get to that position... And that's why I was so keen. It wasn't even that I wanted power myself. And I, even now I, I look at the Assembly and I, I, I wasn't impressed when the, when the Plaid Cymru had a leader. Because in the current climate, Plaid Cymru and the Conservatives would have to work together to realistically form an alternative government. And um, I just think you need to have grown-up people running these parties who would conceive of that as a possibility and would look to see whether there could be a policy agenda. They can, maybe they can't be. But I think you've got to accept that that is the only way you can have power. Otherwise, you're just standing on the back benches, making a lot of noise, you know, putting out press releases, demanding this, that and the other. I mean, politics is about power in the end. You know. Can you envisage it happening in 2021? Yeah, I can. I mean, Plaid Cymru have elected a leader that I think is a real grown-up. I mean, he, I think he's, he's way to the, to the left of me. And, but he's a grown-up. And I think he, he knows that you, you need power. You have to have power. And I work with Plaid Cymru. I mean, Ben Lake is a good friend next door to me. Lisabel Roberts next door to me. They're both really good people. I find them fine. And I just think, but you've got to have the same in the Conservative Party in, in Cardiff Bay. You've got to have the two sides. Clearly, they're going to disagree about things. I mean, that's always happens. Every coalition's like that. But I can tell you, if the, if the, Liberal, if the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives in 2010 can do a government down here, well, Plaid Cymru and the Tories can do a government in Cardiff. You're a very pragmatic sort of politician, Glyn, mm -hmm. but there are some people in your own party in Westminster who could not be described as pragmatists. Yeah. How do you get on with them? You're kind of taking me into a territory that I kind of don't want to talk much about. At the end of the day, I, I will never do what I usually term blue on blue, you know. But yes, we have there are disagreements, and I, I, I see colleagues taking a completely different approach to me. And I think Brexit has, debate has um, uh, exacerbated that. I mean, we've had a... I mean, I, I, I'm frustrated here. I've been for many months. We, we did a deal with the European Union. 28 members, us and all, the, we agreed a deal, which I thought was a perfectly good deal. And I think partly, I think, um, the Irish government overplayed, the Taoiseach overplayed his hand a bit. And I think they, then you, you have something that's grown massive importance got on the backstop. That was a good deal. We should have voted for it. And there's a majority of people in this place in favour of it. There were a, there were a group of people, partly, partly I think, uh, having other reasons perhaps who wouldn't vote for it on the Tory side. Not, not that many. Because what people forget is that some of those most associated with the Brexit, with the No Deal Brexit, as Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, they voted for it. They voted for this deal. But there was about 20 others in our party that didn't, and there was probably 100 Labour Party members that would have been happy with that deal, and they voted against it for following their leadership. You know, you can understand why. You don't need to hear, yeah. And I just think there was a majority in here for that deal, and we didn't vote for it. And I was just, you know, I, I, I just think we've got to do a deal. You know, and if we don't, I mean, people talk about a second referendum. I think that would destroy my party, 
And I, I think it would, it, it would cause a real, real problem for British politics if we were to do that. We remain in a very uncertain We do, very, very time. uncertain, yeah. yeah. And you quite recently, Glenn, of course, said that you're not going to stand again. I'm not standing again, no. How much longer do you think you'll be an MP? Well, that's it. I tell people anything but three months to three years. <laughs> Martin, I'm not saying that as a sort of a jokey comment. That's what I think. I really don't know. I think it's entirely possible. Hmm? Any predictions about... Well, I think it, I, it is impossible. One can predict, you can guess, but even my prediction changes from week to week. I just don't know. But the, the fascinating thing for me when I look at the leadership, because I mean, it's known that I've been supporting Jeremy Hunt. There were three, there were, I had three people that I, 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 I thought could be the, the new Prime Minister. There was Michael Gove, who I think is intellectually um, much stronger than anybody else. I, I'm a huge fan of his intellect and his debating skills. And then I have Boris Johnson, who I think is um, maybe the only person who can deliver a deal. You know, for various reasons, but I think he, he could possibly deliver the deal. And then there's Jeremy Hunt, who I, who, who is, um, has got my approach to put I mean, he looks, I think he's, and he's, he, he, he knows, he's been in the fire. I mean, you can't have a political career unless you've been through some really tough stuff. And now Jeremy, through the Olympics, through the Murdoch stuff, and indeed then being the Secretary of State in a, in a major public service like the NHS, if you're a Conservative Secretary of State in that position, you are going to be in the fire. And I think he had six years. And he survived it. And I thought he was good. And he, and he left that job with the biggest boost of finance to the spending of the, of the NHS that there has ever been. So in a sense, I think that people point to that as a failure. I don't think he was. I, think it was a, I just think he's tough. And he's also got a very sensible, balanced approach to And anyway, in the end, I, 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 I voted for Jeremy, and I'm, a, I'm still a supporter of his. Do you think he'll win? No, at the moment. But anything can happen. I mean, last week was a, a pretty turbulent week. In fact, it turned out all right. Again, because of one of these silly situations in modern politics, there was an issue which should have been a negative for the, um, for the favourite. But because the media coverage that was way over the top, it'll finish up looking unfair. And it'll probably finish up being a positive. This is, this is what I tell people. The stupidity of taking your argument to an unreasonable level usually helps the person you're attacking. But um, not everybody sees it quite like that. Glenn Davis, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> thank you, Martin. It's, it's good, it's good to, to meet up again after all these years. I mean, ever since I ever entered politics, I was warned about Martin Shipton in those days. As a matter of fact, I was warned before doing this interview now. Watch him. I'm hoping I haven't said anything that's going to get me into trouble. <laughs> we'll let the listeners make okay. judgments on that. Thank you very much, Glenn. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week. Thank you.